Grace is yours and mercy and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You notice in the first hymn, I had to pick one that had a whom in it so I could remember to type whom since I had turned it into who last week and that just bothered me all week. I'd like to share with you a classic sermon from Omar Stunkel. And I know that some of you, especially people who have been around Freistadt, might wonder, oh, Omar, was he related to Walter Stunkel? And my answer is, I don't know. I don't know, but I did like this sermon that he preached 41 years ago. Why should you care about what other people do with their lives? Why not let everybody figure out for himself and reap the reward or take the consequence? The parental adage is familiar. Honey, I can't live your life for you. You have to make your own choices about your spouse and your career and where you're going to live and, and then live with those choices. But then again, Parents do subtly or overtly influence the choice that their children make. Their own lives provide a lively pattern for their offspring to imitate. Deliberately and consciously, most parents try to shape their children's attitude toward life and help them build a perspective within which adaptable choices can acceptably be made. But wise parents also try to let each child make its own choice in significant matters. Even if we grant that this delicate balance between children and free, between control of children and free choice in the relationship of parents and their offspring must stand. We've not thrown much light on the initial question when it applies to those outside the family. Why should we care what others do with their lives? I was a teacher for 17 years. I cared quite a bit about what others did with their lives, especially those who were given over to my care. My wife was a nurse for 40-some years, and she cared greatly about what those who were under her care did with their lives, especially as they were trying to recover. And I think that if you own a company or you, you have other people who answer to you, why, you care about their welfare, the workers' welfare. It, it affects not only the working situation, but you probably have a heart and a conscience, and, and I know that you're Christian people, and so you want to make sure that they are taken care of. And when it comes to the government, we ask that, that righteousness be rewarded and evil be suppressed. Turns out quite a few of us care quite a bit about what other people do with their lives. And the question that we have this morning is, well, if you're a Christian, where does that sphere of influence stop? Where do you stop caring about what others do with their lives? And the answer seems to be from our gospel lesson today, 
Well, you don't. It doesn't really stop. It doesn't mean that you should be running everybody else's life. But what it does mean is that everybody else's situation is of some concern to you if you have any way to affect it. I mean, all we have to do is look to Matthew chapter 25 and the, the Lord coming again in glory and separating the sheep from the goats. And he says, here's the evidence that you don't belong with me. You didn't care about anybody except yourself. Here's the evidence that you were already mine. You fed the hungry. You gave clothing to those who were shamefully na uh, naked. You visited those who were sick and in prison. Our epistle lesson for today states Christ's concern and care for his people in sacrificial terms. He cared so much, he died for us. He died for the wicked while we still were wicked. By that death, we're reconciled to God. And now it's up to us to care about others. Christian caring has a wide perspective. We are told in our Old Testament lesson for today that, that God has always cared for his people. In fact, we, we are told that God lifted his people out of slavery, out of Egypt, like they were on eagle's wings. Well, what's the way that you could ride on an eagle? First, don't try that. You're too heavy. But if you would go with the image of that powerful bird up there in the sky, the only way that you would get up there is if it would come down to you. You can't jump up to the back of an eagle. The eagle must come down to you. There are 32 or 33, I forget which, but 32 or 33 references to eagles throughout the Bible. And they are always references of how the eagle is lofty, powerful, majestic, and how God lifts us to be like them. Or that people imagine that they are like eagles, and he says, I think you're old crows. I find you hopping around on the ground a lot. And if you, if you don't notice it yet, don't worry, I'll bring you down to there. God comes to people, and he cares for them that way. Jesus sends out his 12 disciples, and we are not going to make a, a big deal about the, the charge that he gives them, because of the fact that it was very specific. I mean, do you believe that you are told that you are never to care for anyone who's not a Jew? That's what the disciples were told there in the gospel lesson, right? Don't go to anybody outside the house of Israel. Well, it was a very specific project with very specific authority that he was giving them at that specific time. I've never cured a leper. But it says that they have. I don't know, maybe I have cast out a demon, but not knowingly. The charge that they were given 
was given to all 12 of his chosen disciples, including Judas Iscariot. Did you notice that? He sent Judas Iscariot out to care for people and to proclaim the kingdom of God. They were to become teachers and doers of what they themselves had learned from Jesus. There are so many people, he told his disciples, so many people who need help, and so few people who can help them. Pray God sends helpers. And go yourself out and proclaim the glories of God the consistency of God, how he cares for his people through every situation, how, as Jason said in the children's talk today, he keeps his promises, outrageous as they sometimes might seem. Go to the people because they are in need of what I have been bringing them. Did you notice that when Jesus sends his disciples out, Matthew says that they were to do word for word what Jesus had been doing. Here's what Jesus had been doing. Now, he sends his disciples out to do exactly the same thing. And why do they need to go out? It's not just that Here's an evangelism opportunity. It's because people were lost, harassed, and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Though the word that is translated as harassed is also used in Greek to, to mean beaten. They've been beat up. You got some beat sheep that need some help, somebody to bind them up. Somebody to recognize their hurt and to bring some healing. Go to them and tell them God cares. Go to them and show them that God cares. We're told in the very first verse of our text that Jesus went around all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues and announcing the good news of the kingdom and curing every kind of disease and ailment. Not pretentiously. It's not as if he is averse to drama or confrontation. But that's not what's going on here. He simply wants to share the good news that the kingdom of God has come. He's doing it because of his compassion. Because of the feeling of care, of, of identifying with the, with the other. He's doing it not for profit. And he's not doing it to build a reputation. He's doing it because the kingdom has come and people need the kingdom. And of course, he was opposed. Because people see that sort of thing happening and they think, yeah, what's he really all about? What's the real thing that's going on here? And Jesus warns them, 
the disciples, when you go out and you don't ask for anything from anybody, but just help people because they need to be helped, people are going to question your motives. They're going to speak all kinds of evil things against you. They're going to come to you with assumptions, and if they can't find any fault, they will lie about you. I guess that part we can actually apply today. When people act out of simple Christian charity today, sometimes motives are questioned. Sometimes lies are told. Sometimes those who are sent out to do the work of Christ, not so much here in this country, but throughout the world, sometimes people are beaten and killed. Sometimes people are oppressed and pushed to the sidelines. But faith, acting in faith, is our way of life. When we, see and clear, when we see clearly, undeterred by human weariness, weakness, or worldliness, we know that because of Jesus, life in all its ramifications and variety is always an opportunity. Slow as we are to live up to that vision, weak as we are to accomplish it, Nevertheless, God's words and sacraments strengthen and equip us uniquely for this precise end. To grasp the opportunity to glorify God and to bring praise from his people. To take the gifts of Christ to those who don't even know that they need them. We take that burden, not like those who have no burdens of their own, but as those who have found help and hope in Jesus and now joyfully share it. No age or place or time excludes us from that opportunity. It is part of our peculiar view of life as Christians. In it, we walk by faith never fully vindicated in that view until the day when every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord. Of that final victory, we already have the first fruits in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And when our hopes sag, this is the bedrock, the foundation on which our faith rests. The resurrection is true. God's gifts are real. With him, everything is possible. The urgency to use our day of opportunity daily weighs upon us. Jesus says the crop is heavy, the laborers are scarce. 
And there are great things that need to be done in Jesus' name. And he has chosen to send his Holy Spirit, who still comes freely and with power, to make us able and faithful witnesses. It's always time to trust God and to care about people and to glorify our Lord. It is always time to seek the Spirit, to witness to Jesus Christ, to be serene because we are convinced that God is still in control. It is always time to do the work of Jesus. In his name, amen. Now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen. Before we confess the creed,